That was absolutely gorgeous. Thank you so much. Um, that was a, an original song by Beth, our worship director. Can we just celebrate in that way? I was uh, reading a story of a uh, high school teacher who um, created a program that was pretty uh, unique and newsworthy. In fact, he was responding to um, there are more and more, especially larger cities, this, his high school is in the city of Cleveland at St. Ignatius um, High School for Boys. And in the city of Cleveland, Cleveland as many cities, there's um, people that are uh, dying alone, that no one knows them, uh, they have no next of kin, um, no one to... Uh, perform the ceremony, the funeral service, or anything. And so he decided that he would take seniors and he would care for those who were dying alone. And so this particular article focused on six seniors. And uh, Nicholas Miller is the individual who died um, with no next of kin. So the the six senior students, dressed in jackets and ties, carried a plain wooden coffin um, to the burial site and then took part in a memorial service. And together, they said this prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for opening our hearts and our minds to this corporal work of mercy. We are here to bear witness to the life and passing of Nicholas Miller he died alone with no family to comfort him, but today we are his family. We are here as his sons. We are honored to stand together before him now to commemorate his life and to remember him in death as we commend his soul to his eternal rest. Beautiful ministry, and the article goes on to talk about the impact it had on the seniors in high school that that was uh, had on them. And I was thinking about how more and more we're hearing stories that are helping us to see what, what some cultural observers would call a hidden epidemic of our day today in the United States in the church in the West, and that hidden uh, epidemic is that our culture is increasing measures becoming isolated and lonely um, from one another. Uh, there's a number of factors that cultural observers would, would point to in terms of uh, distractions and aloneness, but you hear story after story of people living and dying alone. In the midst of that, not only people being buried alone with no next of kin, but also in terms of uh, people falling prey to suicide, many in the military across our nation, more and more suicides increase. We were just at a gathering of pastors where we met with the chief of police and the head of the sheriff department and in El Paso. And one of the primary things that they talked about was the rate of suicide that has touched our community in, in profound ways. Many reasons for, 
for that, but one of the primary reasons is that sense of aloneness and loneliness and isolation. You have the art of neighboring, and at one time a strength of our country that we cared for one another, that we uh, learned the lives of one another and walked with those who lived next to us. Now, and ever-increasing statistically, people don't know even the names of people that we live next to, let alone have meaningful connections with them. Loneliness has always been a part of the human condition, but these observers or culture are saying it's... Uh, becoming epidemic proportions. And it's not just to a few age groups or people. It's not just the military. It's not just high school students. It's not just the elderly. It's not just those who are single. But right in the midst of families, we're feeling that loneliness. We're in a series on the family, and uh, I wanted to preach this life-giving relationship that we're going to look to in the Old Testament. If you want to start turning there, it might take a while for you to get there. Use the table of contents if you need to in your Bible, First Samuel. And we're going to look at a relationship that is a very unique relationship in Scripture. And I would argue that is unique within our lives and yet is held up as this beautiful model that we can pray for, that we can strive for, that we can ask the Lord to have, and that it would meet some of that deepest part of our longing to be in fellowship and deep community with one another. It's the story of Jonathan and David. And we're going to just read a few verses this morning, starting in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18. Let me give you a little bit of context of the story. Um, David, um, just in chapter 17, conquered uh, Goliath. Most of us know the story of David and Goliath and all the, those kind of good things. So David, nobody really knows David, but he launches onto the uh, to the scene, he takes down Goliath, everybody's in shock, um, and Saul brings David in to celebrate, probably to give him awards and, and riches and so forth. And it's Jonathan, the, the king's son, that sees David. And David would have been this uh, uh, young, maybe teenager at this point, and he says, there's something between me and him that's of God. And he's, and he's going to make a covenant of relationship with him. And it's this covenant of, I would say, this sacred friendship that they have with one another that I think the Lord has a word for you and I in this beautiful relationship. So picking up in 1 Samuel 18... Verse 1, after David had finished talking with Saul, the king, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Interesting. And he loved him as himself. From the day Saul kept David with him 
and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even a sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, just in those few verses, the Old Testament oftentimes doesn't give us context of how to understand what just ha happened, either bad or good. It just gives us the details and moves on, and it's up to us to go, okay, so what, what is happening and what's going on here? And I want to encourage us to take a, a new covenant perspective of what's taking place in this relationship with Jonathan, Jonathan and David. And here's what I want to do is I want to talk with you a little bit about um, four perspectives of love that is given in a Greek context in the New Testament and understand what just happened with Jonathan and David. You might want to write this down. I did not put this in, in your outline, but there's, and, and perhaps you've heard this before, but there's, there's four primary words that in the Greek is used to understand love. Probably many of you have heard of this first word. It's agape. You heard of that? Many of you have heard agape? And that is primarily God's love for us. So John 3:16, so God so loved the word, uh, the world, um, that's agape, that, that's God. Now, at the same time, um, we share in God's love. We're meant to love one another as God has loved us. So sometimes agape, agape is used for our love for one another, okay? Our love back to God and our love for one another. A second word for love is eros. Eros, and that is the more romantic and uh, sensual love. Actually, that Greek word is not used in the New Testament, but you find the idea or the perspective of Eros in um, the, like the Songs of Songs, the Songs of Solomon in the Old Testament talking about romantic love. In fact, that's where we get the word erotic from, okay? And that's used in those in the context of marriage of that who created sexual intimacy? God. It's not something we're not supposed to not talk about at church, but that's from God. That's a perspective that's eros, okay? The third one is storge, and that is a family love. That's the affectionate love, like a mother would have for a son or a father would have for a daughter, Storge, and the final one is Phileo, and that um, we have a major city in the United States named after that kind of love. Do you know what that major city is? Philadelphia. Yes, it's the city of. Right there's that that brotherhood that's here. All right. Now it gets a little bit convoluted because agape flows into we're supposed to love one another as God has loved us in, in that way. In fact, in a really neat part, uh, Paul, Romans 12, 10, he, just to confuse us more, he combines storge and phileo 
And he says this, love one another with brotherly, or you could say sisterly, affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. And he combines those two words. So what is happening here is you've got this deep and abiding love. In fact, even, even though the, the NIV translates the, the Hebrew pretty intimately, that they became one in spirit, it's actually not intimately enough. A more literal translation would be that Jonathan knit his soul to David's soul. Isn't that an amazing translation? If you really, there's, there's a Hebrew word for knit, but in this moment, he knit his soul to David's soul. And this is a picture. Now, a, a, another way I want you to notice that we understand this, one response to this would be like, wow, that is an incredible relationship, but those are Bible people. Their lives are in, I'm just a regular person that shops at Walmart, so that's not going to happen to me. I mean, this is like, you know, they were in the Bible, that happened. But there's a phrase in these few verses that is repeated that points us in the idea that this kind of sacred friendship, the soul-to-soul, this kindred relationship is not just for a David and a Jonathan, but it's for a you and me. Do you see the phrase that's repeated in those verses there? Don't look at me, look at your Bible. It's repeated right there in those verses. Does anyone see that phrase? It's in verse 1 and 3. Come on, the first service got it. What's that? Yes, free cup of coffee for you, Al. In verse 1, look at that. How did Jonathan love David? He loved him as, as himself. And then in verse 3, he loved him as himself. Does that make you think of anything else in Scripture? What's that? Who is that? Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the second most important commandment in all of Scripture. Remember that moment? He's saying that this is when, when people came to Jesus and they said, what is the most important commandment? What, what's the most important commandment? You guys know this one. Love God with everything you've got, heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And then he guess, says, oh, and guess what? The second one is, is just like it. What's that one? Where did Jesus get that? He got it from the Old Testament, yes. I could be giving out cups of coffee freely, right? The, he got it from Leviticus. Look at the screen with me. This is said in Leviticus. This was before Jonathan and David's time. Said this. Um, I'll just read it. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one another. Remember, this is thousands upon thousands of years ago against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. And then way back there, Jonathan has this expression in the Lord. I believe there's testimony that Jonathan was a strong, committed child of God. And he understood his relationship with David, that there was something going on here that was of God. And in his way, what he did is he knit his soul to David as a model of the second most important commandment in all of Scripture. As a picture of all of Scripture. A, a picture of phileo. A picture of storge. A picture of agape, the love of God filling in this beautiful way. I would argue some have seen eros in that. I don't believe the text would support that at all. Then it becomes sin, right? Becomes sin. No, there's a model of agape filling the soul and the heart of Jonathan and David, and they become what some have said, kindred spirits in the Lord. Kindred spirits. And I believe it's an invitation to you and I to think deeply about the second greatest commandment that is in all of Scripture. That God is offering the, this kind of relationship with one another that would meet the deepest part, the, the, the deepest brokenness, uh, and not always broken, but that longing for fellowship and companion. And in a beautiful way, the answer of Scripture is, are you lonely? It isn't, well, then get married. I think the church has done it injustice by saying, then get married. But he's saying, no, love your neighbor as yourself in this way. Now let's unpack that for a moment. If we were to take this and really understand it, I would say that we would say, if we understand this as a model of the second most important commandment, then we get to pray, we get to ask the Father for kindred spirit relationships. We get to ask the Lord for these sacred companionships, these sacred uh, friendships. And I believe the Lord wants to give us those and meet the deepest longings of our life. And then allow those sacred friendships to be this incredible and beautiful testimony to the world. Here's another conviction that I have just from preparing this message. I believe the enemy, his primary scheme is to help the church, is to desire the church to keep missing this kind of love. Because Jesus said, you will know 
the world will know that you are my, di my disciples by how? This, this agape love, this phileo, this, this storge, this, this love that is, is a soul, is love that's rooted in God that's connecting, and then the church becomes that unstoppable force as we really get it, as we live simply those two greatest commandments, loving God and loving one another. And I love that within Scripture, we get pictures of these sacred friendships. And it's not a picture of a marriage. It's a picture of a friendship that really makes that offering to us in a variety of different ways. Here, let me, uh, let me explain it like this. Um, did I do Romans 12.10, how Paul combines those two, storge, and did I hit that? Yes? Okay, good. Um, think about by way of application. Let's start with Friendship. I believe that you get to pray, no matter who you are, for these sacred friendships in your life, where there is the soul and soul, soul to soul connection with others. Now, I, I have uh, had the honor and privilege of having, at, at different seasons of my life, these soul connections. That, that I'm kindred spirits with. The first one was my sister. That, um, that there was a, a perspective that we, we shared in life, this kind of deep connection. Oftentimes, because she was older, she was speaking into my heart and my soul. And she was raising me up. And I had this, this, this kindred spirit with her. When I was in the, the, the deepest and the most difficult times in my life, there's a friend who came along and he carried me and he did not want me to miss the love of God in the midst of pain and suffering and struggle. And whether I wanted him or not, he was that kindred spirit in that where I was weeping with him Oftentimes, it was over the phone. Did you know, in ministry, my whole uh, life of ministry, I never, a lot of friends, a lot of companions, a lot of fellow staff people in ministry, all of that was good, but I never had that one kindred spirit that we got it, and not that we didn't ever fight or anything, but I just, I wanted that one kindred spirit. You know who that was? Or is, I should say? That was Pastor Ben. That's why I'm still mad at him for planting a church. No, I'm not. But I had to work through that. In fact, Ben and I had to work through that together and, and, and figure out what, what's God doing. I, ben, I thought you were supposed to be here forever. And apparently that wasn't God's plan. There's that release. You know, we get to pray for those kind of uh, friendships, not the eros love, right? 
The staff would tease us that we had a man crush on one another. But no, that wasn't how that was is. But the phileo, the storge, the agape that's there. Now let's talk about marriage. I would argue that most marriages struggle to live in the kindred spirit way. All right? I think that would be fair to say. All right? And uh, I asked my wife for permission to, to share this, and um, it's, a, it's a, a good story, but a, a, a real story is if you would have unpacked this kindred spirit, this soul connection between my wife and I and asked us if we were sharing in that, if you would have asked us two years ago, We've been married for five years. If you would have asked us two years ago, we would have said, those moments are few and far between. It's hard. It's really hard. I'm happy to say that in the last two years, there's been a dynamic. She would argue it's so hard because I'm so odd and different. That was why she would say that, but she's slowly figuring that out, and there's this this kindred spirit that we've talked about. I, I long for that. I, I desire that. I tell her. But the, the enemy throws in all sorts of junk, doesn't he? But I, I think he's saying this is only in the Lord. There, I, I don't believe there's anywhere else on the face of this earth that as a people we can start having these soul friendships, these kindred spirit relationships that are there. I think this applies to parenting. You know, I, I'm sure I make many mistakes in my parenting. But this is the best part of my parenting, is that I'm not primarily there as a disciplinarian, though I'm trying to grow in that with the counsel of my wife. But there's this heart connection, this soul connection, and we process everything with my kids. In fact, I knew I was doing something right when just, it was a number of, of months ago, I also asked my, one of my daughters if I could share this, as she was wrestling with one of these teenage things Right, these things, and she's a girl, so she was wrestling with one of these girl teenage things, and she was wrestling with a friend, a, a close friend, and that close friend said to my daughter, hey, you should really talk to your dad about that and tell me what he says. <laughs> this is teenage girl stuff, and yet we were sharing at those kind of deep levels this kindred spirit in that way. Do you understand? I think, the, I, I think society defines relationships in such broken ways. And if we would allow Scripture to define in how God sees this, that the love and the soul connection would transform our lives into something far different than we see in our culture today. Now, let me, uh, just so you know, 
Um, I cut this sermon in half. I've never done this before. So you're only getting half a sermon, all right? Next week, we'll, we'll get the other half. I'm not sure how it all worked out with Kingdom Life groups and all that, but we'll, we'll get there because I want, I just felt like the Lord was saying, I want you to slow down because this is really important. This is really significant. And this could change a great many things if we began to press in. Because, I, I, again, the enemy is putting all these things in our way because he wants us to miss this, um, this uh, sacred friendship. He wants us to miss it in our marriages. He wants us to mi miss it in our parenting. He wants us to miss it in our friendships. He wants us to miss it in the church. If the enemy can accomplish us missing that at every level, he's done his job. And so how do we press into that? How do we press into that at all, in all of our relationships, friendships, parenting, marriages, and church? Can we ask that question? I'm going to give you one way, and then next week we'll talk about some other ways, okay? All right, so out-of-town guests, you're going to have to come back next week, all right? Um, one is this, is one, I think, go back to the first point just to reiterate that. We get to pray for these relationships. We get to pray and ask the Lord that he would help us live the second most important commandment in all of Scripture. We get to ask for those kind of relationships. Lord, help us to press in. That is the first one. Now, here's the second one. That we need in this age of distraction. That's why it's a hidden epidemic. One reason is we live in this age of distraction. We need to engage. We need to hold this up as a value, we need to hold this up and say, this is what the Lord wants for us. And so we need to engage in the midst of all of these uh, distractions. That is really one of the big, uh, of this hidden epidemic. We've got iPads, we've got phones, we've got televisions. Then the culture of the United States is really a workaholic type of culture, right? Because we define ourselves by what we accomplish, so we go after everything in that way. We're going after, after, and we're missing all that is before us. I think if we're going to live this well, if we're actually going to love others as we love ourselves, then we have to slow down and start engaging with people. It's been said that there's two things in our lives that are eternal. And those two things that are eternal, we need to set our time and attention and focus on. The first thing that is eternal is the Word of God. Why? Because it's the revelation of the Father. To focus on that and focus on the Father is the fulfillment of the first and greatest commandment, is to love. This is eternal. God is eternal. So we should focus our attention and understanding on this. What's the second thing in our world that's eternal? 
What's that? Look at your neighbor and say, you. You. Everything else, this communion table, this chair, this church, the building blocks, this all goes away, will be remade someday, but it's the people, it's the soul. God is eternal, and you and I are eternal. So not only do you focus on the Word of God and the, your relationship with God, but you focus on one another because that job It'll be gone someday. It'll be gone. Those cars, those hobbies, those houses, all of that's going to be gone someday, right? What's going to be here? You and I. And so you engage. We're, we're, we're so distracted. We're, we're pulled away from the dinner table, right? To when we go to bed at night, all these things are distracting and we're missing these eternal souls and the people that are around us. Think of the ministry of Jesus for a moment. Jesus was surrounded by these crowds right? All these people were coming in. He had crowds. He didn't have, you know, TV and internet and all that, of course not, but he had these crowds, right? All these things. And yet, when you read a story with Jesus, you've got everything that's going on. He's doing these miracles, people pressing in. But when he would engage with an individual, he was so personal. And so often, he would ask a question and the answer of which he already knew. So why would he ask the question? He was engaging and drawing out and he was looking into the soul of the person and loving them well. Think of the rich young ruler. Do you know he comes and he engages Jesus? I don't know if you've ever noticed this phrase. Go to that scripture there. Jesus looked at him and what did he do? And loved him. He loved him. This, this engagement was there. And then he spoke, spoke truth and invitation into the rich young ruler's life. He spoke to the soul and what was ailing his soul. And he invited him to follow him. Just to give you a little bit of an example, I would say that I'm not very good at this engagement thing. That, that I've had to learn, in part it's because I'm an introvert and I'm inside my head a lot. My, my wife has discovered I'm either processing or thinking and sometimes um, it comes across as disengaged. And I apologize for that. Sometimes I've had congregational members come up to me and say, are you upset with us about something, Eric? And I have no idea what they're talking about. But now I'm understanding it's because I'm, I, sometimes I'm disengaged because I'm so within myself, right? So that has to be, so I'm learning. I've got to engage with my kids. I've got to engage with my wife. I've got to engage with my staff, with my friends. I, I've got to start paying attention to what's going on there. Just this past week, I was about to go to bed and I like to have some vegetable time on the couch where I'm just kind of sitting there 
and I'm watching a movie. I don't remember what movie it is. I'm sure I've seen bits and pieces of it a hundred times, but I've never seen the whole thing through. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just on. And then oftentimes I'll, I'll double vegetable time. I take my, my phone and I'm playing a card game on my phone. All right. Does anyone do that besides me? Do you just like disengage? A few of you. Thank you. All right. And my wife, who usually goes to bed a little bit before I do, but she had something that she wanted to talk to me about. And so she sits on the couch right next to me. And I'm tired, and I've got the movie, and I've got my card game, and she's telling me this really important thing about work. And my first thought was, of course, it always happens. I'm preaching on this, and this is happening. I, I could make this a good story, right? And then my second thought was, you know what? She, she needs to process with me. And if she's going to be that kindred spirit, she needs me to participate in that. She doesn't need answers from me, right? She, she wasn't looking for that. But she needs me to engage. And so I kind of half, it's a half good story, half bad. I put the card game down. So I just, I left that out. But I did put it, and I made eye contact, and I, but friends, I, I think in, in the midst of all that's happening, I, I see it with our staff. When, when we go and, and we're going to pray and worship together with a guitar, I make them leave their phones somewhere. Because even when we pray together, the phones are going off, right? Is there a moment that we're, we're disengaging from distractions and we're engaging with the eternal things that are in our lives. Right? That's a good question, isn't it? Do we ever disengage what causes, from what causes us to disengage from people and the Lord? Wouldn't that be great? Perhaps that's how the Lord wants to begin to teach us how to love God and to love one another well, to experience that, that phileo, that storge, that, that agape, to love one another really as God has loved us. Can we pray together? So Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us these moments to slow down with just these few verses in your word. Lord, the fact that when we are your people and your children, that we could experience uh, our soul being knit to you, agape love our souls being knit to one another in phileo love 
Lord, would you help us? But I don't, I don't think that we do this well. We don't do it well. Lord, would you help us to talk about it and be honest with you in prayer. Be honest with one another, with our spouses, with our friends, with our family. Lord, would you teach us to love well? Would you teach us to love one another in a way that only you can give? And teach us to love you back with everything we've got. In your name we pray. Amen. Can we stand together and respond in worship?
so if you are new to our congregation, I'd love to meet you real briefly. I'll be behind the Welcome Center, and we can uh, connect. Um, I encourage you, uh, read the rest of the story of 1 um, Samuel chapter 20. And talk about it in, your, in our kingdom life groups. Talk about them at, at the dinner table. Talk about that kind of relationship, would you? Would you go knowing the deep and abiding love of our Father in heaven? Would you know that he desires to fill you with that love again and again and again and for that love to fill your soul and transform all of your relationships? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. We'll see you next week. If you'd like someone to pray with, please come forward and receive prayer.